You know, one of the biggest questions um, that I think Christians have, that I've heard Christians have, and I've even had in their lives, is the question, what is God's will for me? Like, what's his will? What does he want me to do? I remember being in high school or college asking myself, you know, what is God's will for my life? I asked, is this the right college to go to? Um, should I join this organization? Should I marry this girl? Like, what, what, what should I do here? Should I exile the college student who beats me in every single video game? I'm looking at you over there. Um, no, sometimes the answers are a little clearer than others, right? Like, probably shouldn't do that. But it's a big question. It's a question, um, and we don't always have scriptures directed to turn to to have an answer to that question. But there are a few passages where it says clearly what God's will is for our lives. And we'll look at one of those passages this morning. So look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So Paul starts this section with finally. Now you might say, Paul... If you look at the amount of verses you've written so far and the verses you have left, there's actually more left in these last two chapters than what you had before. And so you think, finally, you're not even halfway through. But that's not the kind of final he has here. It's, it's more of the idea of here's what's left to be said, right? Therefore, here's what, what's left. And so he's getting kind of into the meat of what, what, what he has here. And so he says, finally, we request and exhort the Thessalonians in Christ. The two things he does is request and exhort. And these are the two things in our Christian life that we need to be doing with believers. We need to request and exhort them to live for Christ, to serve Christ, not to demand or belittle them into serving Christ. To ask them and encourage them to live for Christ. We're not placed in the body to say mean things and to bully people or dissuade people from serving Christ. Ultimately, um, we're in the body, and the body works together and works at its best when all the parts are working together. So let's take this example where he requests and he exhorts and doesn't demand or, or look down upon or belittle them. He's rather trying to build them up, right, to do this and encouraging them. Let's take this example, encourage believers to live lives more and more like Christ. And the Thessalonians were faithful people. He's already said that they've, they've done really well. Um, remember, they sent Timothy to see what was going on. So they were there in Thessalonica, and then there were some Jews that got upset and ran them off. They went to Berea, and they're teaching the gospel there. And then the Thessalonian Jews were like, that ain't happening on our watch. And they went to Berea to chase them out of Berea as well. Um, and so they didn't know what was happening with Thessalonians. And so they sent Timothy to go see what was happening. And this letter is based off the report Timothy gave. Um, and Timothy came back and said that they stayed faithful and they hadn't chosen temptation. Right? They've been faithful. They've been loving the brethren. They've been really good. And so they received this instruction, right? this instruction how they should conduct themselves and to please God. They've received that instruction. And look, it literally says, just as you actually do walk. This is how you're walking. You're pleasing God, and you're following these instructions. Uh, and yet, even as they're following the apostles' teaching, and they're pleasing God in their walk, what does Paul ask and exhort them to do? To excel still more. They're faithful people, but they're commanded to excel still more. Even these amazing Thessalonians who have been doing really well amid persecution and amid all this stuff going on have room for improvement. If Paul came and watched us for a day and then said, you know, you're walking as you ought to and you're pleasing God, then Paul probably got us on a pretty good day, wouldn't you say? Right? 
I'd be like, good thing you didn't come yesterday, Paul, because that day would not have been as good. Um, But he says, you're doing really well, but excel still more. And so in the Christian walk, we always have room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. We're never at the, the perfect level while we're here still on earth. Well, how do we improve? Well, Paul says it, right? He says, you know the commands that are given. You know the commandments that we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's verse 2. Um, now, ultimately, he's talking about when he was in Thessalonica, he was teaching the Thessalonians these certain things. And he says, you know these commands. But we also, right, we too know the commands that are given to us from God. When someone asks Jesus what the greatest commandment is, what does he say? Love God and love others, right? We see it in um, it's Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40. It says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. And so these are the greatest commandments, he says. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love others. The rest fall into those two. We do have other commands from Christ other than this, right? We're called to, to make disciples, to go to proclaim Christ and training believers. Um, we're called even now to, um, in John 13, it says that we're to love others as Christ has loved us, a sacrificial love, not even just you love your neighbor as yourself, but to love as Christ has loved us. Other commands, but a lot of them fall under these two. <clears throat> and so we know what commands we've been given. Just like Paul was saying to them, you know the commands you've been given. They're in the Bible. Right? They're in the Word. And because we know them, we should follow them. Not for salvation. Right? It isn't do these good things so that you're saved. Because look what Paul says in the next part. It's not for, for your salvation, for eternal life. He says in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. He's writing to believers already. People who have placed their faith in Christ and have eternal life and are part of the church. And now he's saying... God's will for you as a believer is sanctification. It's to be made more like Christ, that's what that word means. To be set apart from the world and to be shaped more like Christ. It's a process that we go through in our Christian life. Look at this. Hopefully you can read that. Um, <clears throat> there's a three kind of step process of sanctification. It starts off with justification. Right? That's when we're declared righteous. It's the moment we place our faith in Christ. It's um, when we place our faith in Christ, our standing before God is righteous, right? He sees us as righteous. It's when we get eternal life and we're free from the penalty of sin, right? Christ has taken that and we put our faith in him. But if we're declared righteous, just standing before God, how many of us live righteously every day? How many hands went up? Um, Ultimately, our, our actual state right now is not righteous, and that's sanctification process, right? And so this is the process of being made righteous. This is the Christian walk that we have. Um, this is our state, our current state that we have here. Um, this is when we receive the Holy Spirit. So we got eternal life justification. At the same moment, we start sanctification process where we have the Holy Spirit, and we're free from the power of sin. Because of the Holy Spirit, because of the grace of God, we don't have to sin anymore. We can choose to walk in the Spirit rather than walk in the flesh. We're being made more like Christ, His power through us, being made righteous. This is our current state. We're free from the power of sin. And then ultimately, one day there's going to be glorification. That's when we're made righteous. We're made righteous. Um, This is when our state, so what we're at currently, will be equal to our standing, which is righteous before God. 
is when we'll receive a glorified body. We'll be glorified and we'll be free from the presence of sin. Right? There'll be no more sin at all. There'll be no more flesh, no more anything. And so that's, that's our future hope that we have in Christ. God's will for us as believers is sanctification. But sanctification is never guaranteed in the Bible. It's never guaranteed. Justification guarantees glorification that one day all this will happen. But sanctification is a process that comes through abiding in Christ, that comes through walking in the Spirit, ultimately. And then what, what, what Paul has here is that this is the will for God, right, your sanctification. And then he has um, three facets of sanctification, basically, that he goes through and highlights. So look at the first one. This is the will of God. This is verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The first one is abstain from sexual immorality. And we know what this is, right? Um, the Greek word here is, is porneia, which means it's not just adultery. It's all forms of sexual relations outside of marriage, right? outside of God's design for it. It's premarital, homosexual, incest, the like. All these things that are, that are outside of God's design for, for sexual relations. And if you look around in our world, it's steeped in this stuff. Right? These sort of things are everywhere. Not only is it in the deep, dark corners of real life, it's an entertainment in celebrity culture, it's celebrated, and all of these things are there. But the world is steeped in this sexual sin. And we are believers, we're called to be distinct from that. This is the will of God, sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Because we're called to be more like Christ and less like the world. And the world is full of this stuff. We're called to be more like Christ, which is different than the world. To abstain sexual immorality. It's a, it's a general, all, all forms of it. Right? And then he goes on. The second aspect of sanctification is in verse 4. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So first is kind of the general abstain from sexual immorality altogether. And then he goes on and says that each one know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Kind of the more, the more personal that you know how to, what you should do there. And... Um, I will say there's some debate as to what this word vessel means here in verse, um, verse 4. Um, whether it means body or it means wife. There's different kind of uh, interpretations or different things that they get from that. To whether it means um, to possess his own wife, to his own body, and sanctification and honor. Well, how does that make sense, right? To possess your own wife, sanctification. Well, this word possess in the Greek has another definition that it can be used, which means acquire or to get, um, so in that reading, it would say, each of you know how to acquire his own wife in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles. From my study, it seems like it's saying wife. It seems like it's saying more, uh, you know how to possess your own body, right? Sanctification and honor, know how to, how to control yourself, basically, control your own body. But I think that either translation works in this passage, in this flow of the passage. Either he's saying, you need to get yourself a wife the right way, Right? Not in this, this lustful passion, the Gentiles. Um, um, or you need to, he's saying that you need to control your body and your lusts. So either of them work. I think he's saying it's control your body and your lusts. But ultimately he's saying possess your body in sanctification and in honor. Right? So that, in that growth process and in honor. Acting on your lustful passion is dishonoring to yourself and to God. Who gave it to you? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Immorality here, that word is, is sexual immorality. Um, we're temple of the Holy Spirit, and when we sin, we sin against ourselves, against the temple. That's not good. Right? Anyone remember how Christ reacted when the temple was defiled? Not really happy there. But now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and when we have sexual immorality, we're sinning against the temple. Right? So he contrasts us with the Gentiles who don't know God. Right? We ourselves were sinning against God as dishonorable to our bodies and to God. And he contrasts us with the Gentiles who don't know God. Why? Because we do know God. Right? As believers, we know God. We know the commandments. He already said that. And we know God, ultimately. We know what is right. We have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live in Christ. Right? Like we just talked about, um, we have the Holy, Spower, uh, the Holy Spirit and we have, we're free from the power of sin. We don't have to choose sin anymore. We can choose to live in the Spirit. Um, so don't let our lust control us, right? Don't let our flesh control us, but walk in the Spirit instead. Walk in the Spirit instead. So far, we, we've dealt with the general sexual immorality, and then we've dealt with possessing your own body in sanctification and honor, and now we're going to move on to sexual sins against others. Sexual sins against others. So look at verse uh, 6. And that no man, this is the third thing, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. The third thing is that you shouldn't sin against a brother in this way. You're trying to be more like Christ, and sinning against another believer is not going to get you closer to your goal. Right? Your goal of sanctification is not going to happen if you're sinning against someone else. Well, what this means is that their goal is sanctification, in sanctification is that no one sins another believer, defrauding or exploiting them in the process. How would this happen, right? You, you, you're you're um, with sexual immorality, right? You're doing something that's outside of marriage, extramarital um, sexual relations. How would that be defrauding or exploiting another believer? Well, when you have sexual relations outside of marriage, you're ultimately having them with someone else's husband or wife, really. Um, before marriage, they aren't your spouse, and they may never be your spouse, and they may eventually be someone else's. If you are married, and you're committing, or you're committing adultery with someone um, who's in a marriage or whatever, uh, you're not just sinning with the consenting adult. Right? It's not just two, con- two consenting adults that are just having sexual relations. It affects those around them. Right? It affects their spouses. It affects their, their future spouses. It affects um, those around them who love them as well. And, and the point is, right, we don't sin in a bubble. Our sins affect other people, not just those consenting to the sin. It's against um, their sp- other people's spouses, other people's um, people who love them as well. And so he's saying, don't sin against other people, right? other believers, because it's not just going to be the person that you're with. It's going to affect people around them as well. Know how to possess your body in sanctification and honor, not in dishonor. Right? If that wasn't enough motivation to, to not sin against other believers, to not affect them in their lives, look what Paul says next. He says, the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As we have told you and solemnly warned you. The Lord is the avenger. So you answer to God when we sin against someone. He is the avenger. When you hurt others through sexual immorality, 
God is the one who takes vengeance on their behalf. We often talk about how, you know, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord, is in the context of, you know, someone does us wrong and we want to get them back. And, like, we're not supposed to do that. We're just let the Lord take vengeance, right? Well, it has a whole other feel to it if you're the one that God is taking vengeance on. Right? And you don't want that. We don't want God to take vengeance on us. We know we will. It says here, and it says in Hebrews, that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so he's going to discipline you, and there's going to be vengeance taken for the pain being caused through these things. So it's not sin against anyone, not in this way, not in sexual immorality, and not in any way. Right? Ultimately, we don't want to oppose God or make God upset, right? upset with us. It's not going to be a fun time. So there's been three kind of facets of sanctification that we've seen so far. Um, we've seen abstain from the sexual immorality that's present within the world, the world is steeped in. Um, we're called to know how to control ourselves in an honorable way because we do know God, not like the Gentiles who don't know God. We know what to do. We know the right thing. We have the power to do it. And then don't sin against others in this way because God takes vengeance. We don't sin in a bubble. It affects other people. And God takes vengeance. Um, and then he kind of, Paul wraps and kind of bookends up this section here with this next verse, verse 7. So look, it says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Earlier we saw about sanctification that it was what? It was God's will. Right? This is God's will for your sanctification. And now it says this is also God's calling. He's called us to be sanctified as well. He called us to be like him, and that's not an impurity. We are to be holy as our he- heavenly Father is holy. Right? Then Paul has a warning. So our calling is not um, purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, our calling and his will for us. And then he has a warning about the rejection, right? The rejection of this. He says in verse 8, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So if you disagree with this teaching, right, this teaching about sexual immorality and such, um, you're not just rejecting the teaching of man. You're rejecting God. If you think about it, right, the cults that have popped up over the years, um, they reject this teaching. You have groups of people like David Koresh, Joseph Smith, Jim Jones, all of them, all of them have in common this idea of, of multiple wives, right, multiple sexual partners, all these things. And they've rejected God ultimately, not rejecting, um, not rejecting just man, but rejecting God. Because he's commanded of this, and he's the avenger in these matters. Right? He's the avenger in these matters. Now, kind of an interesting thing at the end of here that I was studying this and kind of curious about is that he says in verse 8, he who rejects us is not rejecting man, but the God. I thought it would just stop there, but God. But instead he continues and says, who gives his Holy Spirit to you? I was wondering, why, why is that in there? Right? Um, well, the Holy Spirit ultimately is the power that we have to choose not to sin. He's given us the ability, he's provided a way for us to not have to do this, not have to harm other people, not have to have vengeance taken on us from God. He's given us that. And he's saying, God has given you his commandments. He's given you his commandments um, that we know what to do. He's given us his will. His will is our sanctification not to do these things. And he's actually given us the ability to not do it. Walk in the spirit, he says, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh in Galatians 5.16. When we reject these things, when we reject his commandments, his will, and his ability, 
We reject ultimately his will for our sanctification, his calling also sanctification we see in this passage, and his provision, right? the Holy Spirit, the provision that we have to not sin. And we've rejected that whenever we, whenever we do this, when we um, take part in that. And so he says, uh, basically Paul says, you know the things that you should do, and you're doing them ultimately, but we want you to excel still more. I want you to excel still more. There's always room for improvement. Um, it says this is God's will for your sanctification, and then there's three ways, right? And then there's talking about sexual immorality here. And first of all is just to be apart from the world's sexual immorality, all that's in the world, right? All that stuff. Secondly, um, to know how to possess your own body, sanctification, and honor, not like the Gentiles who don't know God. And then he says that no one sins against someone else in this way because the Lord is the avenger and he'll take vengeance for that person on their behalf. It's our calling to be sanctified. And he who rejects us is not just rejecting man, but rejecting God, who gives us the provision to not do these things, the provision to live for Christ. So, let's go into application. First of all, know the commands of God. Study them and, and then follow them. Um, there's always room for growth. We always have room for growth in our Christian life. So if we think we're doing well, know that there's always room. Right? Think about if Paul was there watching us throughout the day, how many things that would pop up that were like, no, I really wish Paul wasn't here right now. Right? Um, there's always room for growth. So just know the commands and then follow them. Ultimately, we can only follow them by the power of the Holy Spirit. So walk in the Spirit. Right? Turn to God in our lives and all the decisions that we make. Secondly, let's abstain from sexual immorality. There's one thing you get from this passage today. Hopefully it's that. Right? Abstain from it. Be separate from the world, first of all. Second, have self-control. Right? Know how to possess your own, your own body. And then third, do not sin against others in this way. We know that God takes vengeance, and we don't want that to happen for us. So abstain from sexual immorality. And then third, uh, know God's will, follow his calling, and use his provision. His will, our sanctification. His calling, our sanctification. Right? Be made more and more like Christ. His provision, the Holy Spirit, so that we can be sanctified. Be made more and more like Christ.